Stand clear. 100% wild podcast. So for all you listeners, hello and welcome to definitely not your favorite outdoor podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast. We're powered by DeerCast, and if you're counting, this is episode number 275. Hey, we're closing hey. in on 300, buddy. Listen. <laughs> Listen here. You're Matt Drury. You're Tim Chelswick. <laughs> and we're the dynamic duo of nothing. We're here <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's about all we can say. Hey, I wanted to catch you up. So my safe buck, the taxidermy for that. I, I may be 50 by the time I get that back. <laughs> well, it I, happens. I, taxidermy, I, I, like it seems like every year it takes longer and longer to get, get taxidermy back. I'm 43 back. right now. So I called the taxidermist because he said like back in November when I killed him, he said it'd be about eight, six to eight months. I called him last week and he said, we are just now getting forms in. We Holy haven't cow. started on any of our whitetails. Holy cow. And, you know, so I killed my deer mid to late, I guess, late November. So that, so he's got all of deer yeah. season 21, you know, prior to late November to catch up on before he touches. So mine. is this a product of the kind of backlog that we're seeing in everything? It's, it's manufacturing the Putin price hike. What is the Putin price hike? <laughs> the Putin price he, hike. Putin did it. All right. Where does I wonder where his farms come from? Is it is that something that's done overseas? I, I kind of guess Mackenzie, but I'm I'm not sure. Um, yeah. I, I think that's the the, the taxidermy supply, uh, but I'm I'm not sure where they're coming from. Just that he didn't ha- he didn't have them till last week, and he's got a lot of catching Ouch. up to do. <laughs> that hurts. So I you know, it's a it's a it's a sword that cuts both ways, right? Because I because I think I char- he charges like five five hundred bucks. So I just keep putting that cost off for a while <laughs> let you save up to actually be able to pay for it by the time <laughs> right, right. kids here beth uh, kids the, college account kids, safe buck no the kids aren't the kids aren't going to college <laughs> the kids won't have shoes hey i stopped by tim's house this weekend unannounced unannounced <laughs> so i pull up and uh, his daughter was out in the yard and and i said hey is your dad here and she ran inside so tim was comes, she scared she she looks scared tim <laughs> comes to the door and he sees me and he just shuts the door slowly <laughs> as i maintain eye contact yeah so and then his so he taught the reason why i thought of this his son didn't have shoes on <laughs> so he's not lying and his daughter didn't either so none of the kids in our neighborhood wear shoes he just gets up in the morning prances out the door with no shoes on yeah so all righty well this week uh we're excited we have mr mark drury on with us what's up mark how you doing guys we're doing good so you're there uh, at your place in iowa and it's that time of year where most people are starting to get cameras out you guys obviously are you've been hard at it and you and the team there every day since the season stopped to get geared up for this fall and I always find it interesting kind of your strategy towards cameras. You, you still have not put out your cameras yet, correct? We have not. I generally try to target about the 25th through the 25th of July to the end of the month, because it seems like I used to put them out quite early and then all my results always occurred the first two weeks of August. So we just make sure we're out a little bit ahead of that. And it's quite a deployment when we do go to deploy cameras. So it's all hands on deck and it'll take us a few days to get them all, all running. And, and none of those will be cellular. We're just putting out uh, our standard cameras and then we'll check them, you know, a month later and uh, take a good inventory. So we try to put them on, 
you know, either summertime scrapes that we've uh, noticed from years past. In other words, big hub scrapes that get used during the summer, not necessarily scraping, but just communal stuff with deer coming by and checking them. Or we'll put them on a, a small pile of analogic supplement gold, which, you know, we get most of our bucks on that, quite frankly. Uh, and that gives you a little boost of health going into a stressful time uh, right now here during the late summer. We're, we're pretty dry up here. So it's uh, it's time to start giving them a little little benefit of, of supplement gold. Sure. So what's the strategy behind not putting out cell, cell cameras when you deploy your other cameras, you know, here in a couple of weeks? Mostly battery and just time. Um, I, I guess it's not important to us to know where they're at right now. We'll we'll deploy those cell cameras just a, a week or so ahead of the Missouri season, and then we'll deploy cell cams in Iowa a week ahead of, of that. So we just we just don't put them out until until it's time. Battery and battery and and uh, cellular data for the most part. You know the cost. Mm-hmm. Last year sure. I spent like close to three grand on cellular data just through the season. So I want to reduce that as much as possible. Yeah. So basically you take them like Reconyx, you take it out of hibernation there right at the beginning of the season. And then realistically you could put it back in hibernation and what end of January, early February yeah, and January. Yeah. 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 So. We, we take them down the moment the season ends and shut them down for the season. So we just try to minimize, you know, the spend there. Sure. I was going to say with the analogics, I mean, so I have two, uh, three properties overall that I'm, that I'm trying to manage right now Two our leases. And on one of those leases, we're not allowed to use any, it's a County where you're not allowed in Missouri to use any mineral mm-hmm. or, or supplements or anything like that. And it is a much different uh, strategy of trying to get your inventory. And I never really truly know what we have, but like, for instance, yesterday, Scott was uh, out at the Ellsbury lease and he put out um, some analogics. We can, we can put it out in that county. And, you know, basically by the end of the night, I felt like I knew exactly all the bucks I had on the the farm. So it's It's, just interesting. It's crazy, crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, it's the best way to take summer inventory, but you're right at what a vast difference in counties where it's not legal. I'm in the same shape in Mercer in Missouri. I can't put it out there. So we just depend on trails and mode paths and entry trails from historic usage. So, and uh, boy, it's not, not even close to the same, but on the other hand, you get surprises there. Whereas it's fun. where you're able to put analogics out, you kind of know what your season is within the first two weeks. You know, mm-hmm. you, you basically know who you're hunting and what they look like this year for previous years. Yeah. I, well, specifically in Ellsbury, I was like, all right, so here, you know, nothing really was overly exciting to me. We have a, a pretty decent deer, but he looks like he might be young. So it's like, okay, we did the same exact thing last year where I had the early inventory and we basically didn't hunt the farm until it, it got right there towards the gun season. Yeah. And we, we went in and it, sure enough, the deer that we killed were the deer that we had on analogics, you know, early on mm-hmm. in summer. So it's, it is to your point about the surprise or not, it's, it's almost like it's good to know. And it mm-hmm. kind of helps me set up my season. Like instantly I'm thinking, okay, we're not going to mess around in there unless we're wanting to go in and kill some does or yeah. something. We're not really going to mess around until it's the right time. And we're going to have our shift our earlier season strategy over in at the other farm where there may be a couple bigger deer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I, I don't know, it just, it does help you kind of put your strategy together early on. Yeah. Yeah. I need So Crawford County is where the bourbon cattle ranch that I hunt is it's a CWD County, no mineral, no supplemental feeding or anything. Plus I've got cattle. 
on the ground. <laughs> the worst. So it's really difficult to get any kind of, I mean, that's a great surprise farm because you just don't know what you'll end up with because it's so hard to do inventory from the outset. Mark, I had a personal question for you. You're wearing mossy oak right now. Like if you need to run into town, how often are you wearing camo <laughs> versus just normal street clothes? The days that I'm really happy, I'm wearing camo because it's <laughs> in a good mood, you know. I I love this stuff because it's so cool, and we're in a very very warm time right now. So mm -hmm. I wear it because it's cool. It's also the shirt that I have treated with my tick spray, so I have a tendency to wear it often. Same with sure. my pants. I'm I'm wearing really light colored pants That's so that I can see ticks, so that I can see ticks. They're very light in weight and also light in color. So this is, is really as much about tick prevention as, as anything else. And it's, and it's the coolest clothing that I have. Um, you sent us an article there about this tick, you know, this new tick disease or something that's kind of new. What, tell us about that. That's a good point to jump off on. And you don't have to give the details as to how you found out about it. Um, but give us the details as to what this is, just so we could tell our audience to be on the lookout for it. Well, Grant had actually sent me the article, and it's because Grant and I were conversing, Dr. Grant Woods, last week about some other stuff, and he told me that he had been bitten by a tick in Alabama, and he said, I, I made a, a mistake, and I didn't shower off while I was there. I drove home because I wanted to sleep in my bed that night. So he got, he got bit and didn't find the tick till probably a day or two later, started to get ill, eventually got very, very ill. And his wife went, took him to a doctor. They still hadn't found the tick bite. And um, the doctor said, this is beyond what we can treat here. And they life flighted him to Mayo. Like he was quite, quite ill. And um, the, but that small town doctor had start him on, started him on doxycycline just in case because Grant's an outdoorsman. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a point to listeners. Like if you ever get feeling poor and people and the doctors can't figure out what it is, number one, insist on a, on a, on a tick panel when you do blood work so that they can dig deeper. And, and number two, ha ask them to start you on doxycycline just in case it, in, it is indeed a tick-borne illness because that small town doctor starting him early, he felt like saved his life by the time he got mm -hmm. to Mayo. By the time they figured out what he had, and I, I have trouble pronouncing. He had ehrlichiosis, I think. Yep, that's it. That's it. By the time they figured out what he had, it took him a while, but he was already had started that round of doxycycline. So if people don't take anything else away from this podcast, ask for that tick panel and ask to be started on doxycycline just in case, because you can always stop it if it's a not a tick-borne illness. But the article you're referencing, Matt, is one that Grant sent me, and it's a whole new tick illness, and it's already killed a couple people, and they say it's increasing. And they say a lot of the reason that the tick um, tick-borne illnesses are increasing because the tick population is increasing because we don't have as cold a winters. The winters don't last as long. And um, they say it's it's because of, you know, our climate's changing currently. And if, if you ask anybody that goes outdoors, they'll all say the same thing. My goodness, the ticks are just terrible anymore. I mean, and they are. They're, they're really, really thick. So there's things you can do to prevent that. I spray down every two or three days with permethrin. I bathe in BioShield religiously. I use BioShield also on my clothing. And uh, just, you know, you really do need to check yourself for ticks every single day because yeah. it's a it's our big threat as outdoorsmen right now, one of the greatest threats we face. We've got a, an article coming in DeerCast on this. It's called the Powassan virus. 
And so it's 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 crazy because I mean literally it's an arms race. It's a biological arms race because there are these new like ehrlichiosis wasn't a thing for a long time. And then one of my staff members at the camp I used to run got it back in like 2006. It nearly killed him. It shut his liver function down. Yep. Um, and we keep finding like these new these new diseases that ticks are the vector for. And so, so it, it's an arm race. We got to keep up with it, but, but yeah, keep it on top of it. And, and if you find a tick that's been on you for any given amount of time, it's not a bad idea to save the tick just in case you get sick, they can run a panel on that particular tick and see exactly what you had and then treat you and then really dial in your treatment for it. How do you save them? What do you put them in? A little baggie or yeah. something, just something that you're not going to lose it. And then, you know, you pull it off and you're fine for the you know, next five days or whatever. It's no big deal. Just toss it. I've taken pictures of them before just in case, you know, mm-hmm. like t- took a picture of it before I killed it. <laughs> uh, take pics on your phone. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I got lots of tick pics. <laughs> yeah, you can delete them if you need to. Just take yeah. storage. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Alan, Alan over here is going to lose it. <laughs> He's not pleased. <laughs> no one is. <laughs> That's what she said. That was actually pretty quick-witted, Tim. I'm yeah. very surprised. <laughs> Mark is surprised. I'm actually surprised, Tim. <laughs> uh, don't say that. <laughs> so trail cams are about to roll out. What else are you guys doing on your farms right now, Mark? You know, a lot of food plot prep, we're really, really dry. So we are going to try and um, no-till as many of our green plots as we can just to try and preserve that moisture that's that's in the soil. We're not going to do much uh, conventional tillage this fall, which is is different than what we've done in the past. Can, can you um, explain no-till real quick for folks that maybe don't know what that is? Well, what we'll go in and, and we'll take an area and, and scalp it right now with a mower. So low, mow it in the lowest setting, perhaps mow it twice to really chop everything up so mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, residue laying there to stop soil hit or sun hitting the soil so that seeds can germinate. So we try to really get it down to just about bare dirt with the mower. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we'll go in with uh, a Genesis and no-till in our, our, our seeds. So we're not going in and tilling it. We're not disking it. We're just going to till straight into the to the, to the soil. Okay. We've had pretty good luck with that in the past, especially on big green fields. Some of the smaller ones and the ones that are out there in our bean fields that we're carving out, mm-hmm. then we'll go ahead and, and till it so that we've got a seed bed and we get all the, the bean plants mixed in. But if it's just a, an area that we've planted in the past or a new area that's been grass, we've been mowing it short in preparation for this to make sure that we can get it down to bear dirt and uh, we'll, we'll no-till it in. So if you, and we don't, we don't, I don't have a no-till drill, but I have that groundbreaker and I was at the, the new farm yesterday and noticed that a couple of the areas that we're going to put fall food pots in, the weeds were really, really tall. And so the plan is we were going to go in and spray it, let, let it die off and then mow it real short. Is that the way to go or would you reverse that? Go in now and mow it and get it down real short and then, you know, put weed killer on here in a couple of weeks in preparation for the planting. If I was in that situation where it's already real tall, how tall is it? I mean, it was it was probably knee to thigh high for in some areas. Yeah, like the, the best bet for that would be to kill it and then fire burn it. But that's that's quite dangerous this time of the year. Like you want to get rid of all that. So, yeah. you know, if you do kill it first and then mow it, 
and you can you can mow it two or three times and try and chop chop that stuff up so that it doesn't prevent you know soil contact to the to the ground. Yeah, that's kind of sunlight contact. Right? That's kind of what I was worried about is just the amount of dead grass laying thatch or whatever laying on top of you know what we would then till up. Yeah, well, it, that's not going to hurt anything. I mean, just just mow it a few times; it'll chop it right up. Okay, I mean, it gets pretty fine, and it'll it'll mix right into the into the dirt. Okay, if you're going to use conventional tillage. Yeah, all the rest of the stuff, Scott's. I mean, he's been on top. Of, he's been a godsend for me as we're trying to get deer casts out the door and the TV shows. I haven't been able to go out as much, and he's stayed on top. The that combination of chemical that you guys have perfected up there and given us for like our clover. It's unbelievable. He sent me pictures. He was at Ellsbury yesterday and what we thought was going to be dead and and we had to replant all this this fall. You know, he used I said, you know, what? the beginning of the year, I was like, let's just try this and see what happens. And it looks beautiful. I mean, it's like the best clover we've ever had. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's uh, it's saved us a lot of work here in the, you know, the next couple of weeks. That's awesome. It's, I'm glad it's working for you. Clover is one of those crops that you have to be a very patient food plotter because it takes a little bit for it to actually pop. And, and when it does, it seems like they all pop at once. It can go from looking like the worst food plot you've ever had and all of a sudden it's a green carpet. So patience is always needed when it comes to establishment of new, new clover plots. Yeah, he said there wasn't a, a blade of grass in it. And, you know, of course, pretty much the entire Midwest got hit with a really good rainfall this weekend. Yeah. And I thought, man, this week, I, I bet it really does well for that, for all that clover. So it's, it not looks the, good. Not the, not the entire Midwest. We're burning up here. In oh, you guys didn't get hit with any of that? We've missed the last two in a row. I, I looked at deer cast last night and the last 35 days I've had two and a half inches. That's uh, it. Yeah. I've been dialed into the deer cast maps. We've, and I'm sure that our listeners that listen from week to week have heard us talk about this but the rate two features right now have been key it's mm-hmm. the radar the the doppler radar that's in there and uh, sunday like i was just watching it basically all sunday to check each it's of exciting. my check my waypoints at each of the farms to see if uh-huh. i was getting hit and then rain stations to yeah. see what i got and uh it, I, I got a decent amount across um, almost all my all my pieces so I really like the predictable part of raid station as well. It tells you what you got. It tells you the next three days. I mean, that's a pretty cool feature. Or if you drop down and you really want to see what's predicted over the next 10 days, you can put in forward thinking dates and it'll tell you what's mm-hmm. predicted over the next 10 to 14 days. Not that it's that accurate, but at least gives you hope or, or breaks your heart, whichever the case. <laughs> that's be. right. Yeah. I mentioned it in another podcast that it was like, hey, you know, what I like to do is look at the 14, especially right now as we're getting towards food plotting. We have a little bit more to do this year than we normally do. Nothing, obviously, on the scale that that you guys do or Terry and Forrest do, but a lot for us based on the equipment that we have and the time to do it. And so I said, I'm looking at that 14 – I'm pulling that 14-day forecast down and trying to look out to see if there's any rain events coming. And just as we get closer to like mid-August, I'm going to try to utilize that to plant – basically plan ahead like hey use the seed coat put it in the ground Mm -hmm. and then sure you know hopefully if the rain totals are high enough in that 14 day period try to catch that rain now if it's just like a little bit you're you're probably doing more harm than good if it germinates and then it burns up so i'm also trying to watch out for that but it is nice to look out in that 14 days and just kind of stay in front of it yeah it's the magic of clover. Like it'll sit there and wait for that rain and then green up. Even if you have a really dry period putting your green fields in and, and the seeds swell and they don't do well or you don't get germination or you don't get rain, when it finally does rain, that clover greens up very quickly. Once that 
root system is established. It's it's the ultimate all around greenfield, man. I, I love clover. Do you guys then like from say now till, you know, start of the season, will you go and put any more fertilizer or anything on top of your clover or spray it with anything? I wouldn't until it kind of goes into a bit of a midsummer dormancy right now. So you probably would have more benefit if you waited till like September to do that mm-hmm. stuff when you could expect some rainfalls to take that fertilizer in and keep it green throughout October and, and give it a, give an extra boost to try and uh, take it as deeply into the fall as you can. Same way with spraying. I, I like to spray generally in late May, early June. And then again, in September, I only spray them twice a year and they stay pretty dadgum clean. Okay. You'll get a few summer weeds, but you know, it's, it's, it's important right now not to stress that clover because it's already going into a stressful time with the heat. So we have a tendency to, to not mow it. You might get unsightly because there's a few extra weeds, that type of stuff. But we wait till we start getting some consistent rainfalls to make sure that we have growth coming before we mow, yep. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Well, one of the, the standards, like a theme that comes across whenever you talk to consistent big buck killers is intrusion and don't do it. <laughs> so, Mark, I'm curious, as you're, as you're thinking about your prep schedule, how like when so uh, Iowa starts October one, Missouri starts September fifteen. When do you want all your stands checked, your blinds, you know, all that stuff taken care of so you can back out of there and not not step foot until you're ready to hunt? You know, it, as far as like a lot of what we do is on a piece of equipment. So the intrusion to me is not at the level of if you're out there walking your farms mm. or looking scouting. Sure. You know, we would never think of doing that, right? So we will do it all the way up through just about the start of September, but it's, it's a piece of equipment. Um, Cause we're in there, you got to put the seed in or whatever, go in drill the place and, and you're done, or we'll go check it from afar. So we we're just very careful about wind directions and what we're in there on. So I think there's different, differing levels of intrusion mm. um, as far as like checking cameras and whatnot, we'll put them out and then, then we'll leave them alone once we get our cell cameras going. But okay. you know, call it, late August, early September, in answer to your question. Okay, good. But we're minimal up to that point as well. We minimize it year round. So to qualify that, that answer, like we, we are always minimizing intrusion to the point that we can. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's something I'm thinking about right now, because I've got four different properties that I I got to go in and move some stands around and refresh mineral sites. And I'm trying to get my list of things I want to do at each site set so that when I go there, I've got everything I need and get everything done in one shot and then back out and just let it sit until I'm ready to hunt. Well, and I know like Terry and Forrest, you know, they basically started at in January and February where they had a couple, you know, in Illinois, a deer that they're after this year and Missouri, a deer that they're after. And they started making micro adjustments back then so that they don't really have to do as much of that right now. And I know you guys are always working at towards those type of adjustments too. Um, is, is there a certain deer or a certain, you know, I, I know that you have kind of satellite farms here and here and there and everywhere throughout Missouri and Iowa, but are there certain target animals that you knew at the end of last year that it's like our last season that, Hey, this season, we're hopeful that these are the deer that show back up and we might go in and, and spring and, and do a couple things to, to kind of be done with it and be prepared for these deer. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've got a few on our mind and, and, um, 
two or three of them live on the same farm, believe it or not. And then you always have surprises. Like every year when we check that first run, we'll be like, oh, that deer blew unexpectedly. And those are things that you can't anticipate. So then you might switch a plan just a little bit. But by and large, we've had the properties that I have right now for a few years. So we feel pretty good about our plan going in, no matter what deer pops up where, we've got a, a plan to kill him on each farm because um, they're small farms. So where the food plots go are, are pretty evident. So it's a matter of, you know, then looking back through history as to when that deer daylighted the most and then making your plan around the deer as opposed to the farm and how the farm's laid out. So oh, once we get intel and we find out who the main targets are this year, then we'll start laying out plans for them. And I, I kind of have on some already just deer that are very mature that I, I we definitely know we'll be targeting. Um, and we feel feel pretty good about the fall. My biggest fear right now is just EHD. We're, we're dry to the point that it's, it's approaching 2012 yeah. levels. Like it's, it's scary up here yeah. right now. We're yeah. really, really dry. Well, that the deer that we shared on our social, um, uh, the young buck laying in the Creek that was on my West St. Louis County property. Yeah. And I never thought yeah. I'd have to deal with EHD out there because it's, it's almost all timber. There's a couple, there's a couple ponds on the property, but the deer spend most of their time in the timber, but I guess like, I guess he contracted it probably near one of the ponds and, um, uh, and, and I, it kind of freaks me out cause it's already not the best hunting in terms of mature deer, but to know that that's in play right now, it's spooky. You were talking about the vector, you know, the ticks being the vector. If you think of the vector that carries EHD, it's a flying midge fly. So, you know, they're tiny, they're hard to see. We call them a noceum, essentially, if they if they landed on you. They're everywhere. So that's why you see pockets of EHD everywhere every single year, but they vary in intensity. Hopefully that outbreak won't be too severe. Um, you know, it's, it's these dry years, though, where we have some pretty severe outbreaks. Yeah. I have not heard of much so far this year, but usually it's about this time of year you start to hear, August specifically, you'll start hearing about it. Start in August, and then the, the big die-offs I've seen have occurred September, October, and November. Yeah. Generally. Right about the time I'm coming up to visit, Mark. <laughs> well, and I, you know, I, I don't want to be like doomsday predictor, but I've just seen it enough. I mean, we're, we have conditions that remind me of years we had EHD outbreaks. However, we've had other summers like this where we didn't have an outbreak. So hmm. it, there's so many different things that, that tie into EHD. It's, it's very difficult to understand why it hits in the level that it hits when it hits. Mm -hmm. So every year is a little bit different. You just hope that it doesn't basically. Sure. Yeah. How's it hitting you, Mark, to know that disappearing act will not be reappearing this year? <laughs> <laughs> it's been an you ongoing know, saga. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was always fun to see his pictures, but, uh, you know, we, we pivot to some other new superstar. Hopefully we'll, we'll see, you know, antler growth. We had great rainfall early on, but then we dried up in mid June and we've been dry since. So yeah. I don't, I do not have high hopes for overall antler growth because we are so dry. Yeah. When do they tend to put on the most grow? I mean, I, you know, I, you always talk like the, the people at analogics always talk about like March, April, February, March, April being really important, but you know, do they really pack on like say 50% of their antler growth happens between like what period and what period, you know, do you kind of have a, a guess? 80% of it happens between, May the 1st and July the 15th. So I always look very closely at rainfall in May, June, and July. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, it's it's very much um, 
uh, a correlation between that rainfall and what your antler development is going to look like. Now, there are other factors that factor into that. Uh, what was the the overall herd health going into the winter, the previous fall? So, what were the what were the acorns like? How healthy were those bucks? five years ago when they were fawns, what was the acorn crop then? Mm-hmm. How, how, what was the winter like that those fawns went through? So uh, their start in life oftentimes determines how they end up in life. So that, that's just as important as anything else. Hmm. Yeah. We've got a great article on DeerCast about should you harvest fawns? And Zach Fikurovich, one of our writers, he uh, he is a proponent of doing that. And I won't give away the full thing, but he's talking he's talking about weighing fawns and how weighing fawns is a great indicator. Like doing it consistently, same time of year, is a great indicator of overall herd health. Yep, it it really is. How they get their start determines what they look like through life, mm-hmm. you know. But then they go through so many different trials and tribulations. Like it, it's an absolute, if you see a deer that is just maxed out and a giant, these mega giants, they're a walking miracle to get to that point because there's so many different things that, that nag them and just overall health concerns. They could get, you know, wounded from fighting or wounded from jumping a fence or hit by a, um, a hunter and not recovered. Uh, the pedicle comes off deeply and therefore causes problems with that deer. There's so many things that affect overall health and ultimately antler development. The odds are stacked against them to get to age six and they're doubly stacked against them to get to age six and still have a clean bill of health and, and max out and optimize their, their antlers. It's, it's, uh, it's not a high likelihood, frankly. So from here till, you know, the time that they shed their velvet, what do you think? Maybe another 15% growth, 20% growth in antler development it varies from deer to deer some of them are late starters yeah. and uh, others are they finish out quite early so that always uh, amazes me how how spread out the antler shed is mm. and then how spread out antler development is it varies greatly from deer to deer to deer so it's it's hard to say those that are late are really suffering right now because there's just not a lot a lot out there that's growing with nutrient transfer from the soil into their body, into their antlers. So I like those ones that develop early because mm-hmm. they're the ones that get the most moisture early in the summer. And unless you're in a rainy pattern, which if you look at Southeast Iowa and um, much of the Midwest, they've had quite a bit of rain. I was texting with Jeff Probst. He said he's had five inches in the last 10 days. I think Terry's probably had five or six inches in the last 10 to 15 days. So mm-hmm. vastly different than us. We've had two and a half in the last 35 days. Mm. So that's why EHD is quite pockety as well, because the nature of thunderstorms is pockety. Not everybody Mm. gets the same amount. You know, those storms, they flare up and they go down and they'll skip over places and whatnot. And it's uh, those areas that get skipped the most that generally suffer the most in terms of antler development and uh, EHD. And not to keep going back to it, but that's a cool part of that rain station. You talked about going back to see what kind of rain totals you've had from may june through july and that kind of dictates how you feel your you know the the development will be you know i I go back and look at that i set my rain gauge or you know rain station there at my new farm on may the 12th the day we planted and i've had you know close to nine inches of rain since that date uh up there so now in the last 30 to 45 days obviously not not a ton, maybe two to three inches, but we got lucky and got hit with a few good rainstorms here recently. They're godsends when you get them this time of year. It seems like they're fewer and far between. Mm-hmm. The more I do this, the drier the summers seem to me. You know, I can remember back in the day in the 90s when we first started planting our own food plots, you know, 
I talked to farmers and they wanted an inch a week, an inch a week. So I always kept that in my mind. And man, there's, there's a lot of weeks we don't get an inch. I can tell you that it's uh it's, it's a stark difference now versus the way that our weather patterns used to be. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, realistically, we won't see much of anything until end of August, end of September to where it starts. If we're lucky, right. And it starts to get back on a normal weather pattern. Even then, I've seen some very dry falls where it just doesn't rain, and it's it's frustrating. And on top of that, you couple the heat in with it. Like right now, we're talking about in the Midwest, many areas, 100 degrees plus for extended periods of days. Well, how long does that moisture get to go to work? Because those 100 degree mm-hmm. days are going to yeah. suck it right out of the ground. So it's uh, we're not in a in a favorable weather pattern right now. I hope it switches quickly because we've had a, a very hot two different hot periods here during the summer one about two weeks ago and then we're going into another one right now like it's it looks like extended heat for quite a bit of time and th- that stresses the animals they don't move as much they don't eat as much therefore they're not getting that nutrient transfer so there's a lot of different things that that really um, dictate a white-tailed deer's herd or their body health and then antler development and I think heat is one of those stress factors people overlook a little bit Mark, do water holes play into your strategy? They do, yeah, especially on dry years. Like I'm going to probably deploy some cameras on water holes here when we start deploying cameras. Like in a in a reasonable year where there's moisture, you know, a decent amount of moisture, mm-hmm. they don't seem to hit them as much. But when the temperature rises and it gets real dry, water holes are are magnets. And how are you guys building them, or or do you even need to build them? Do you just have ponds? In many areas, we have ponds, but the ones that I've built here the last two years, I've built three in the last two years. They're probably the size of, say, a, you know, a normal bedroom, you know, so like a 12 by 12 or so, but they're, they're round and, or the size of a truck, you know, and then we try to dig them deep so that they, they're going to silt through time. So we try to dig them six, seven feet so that they fill up. Mm. And then we try to keep the banks fairly smooth so that it reduces any threat from EHD so that okay. you don't have that gradual, you know, water receding and the mud coming out, you know, mm-hmm. so we try to keep the sides as, as, you know, severe as we can. Okay. So if it's severe, how are they accessing it? Like, do you have, you don't have any kind of point of entry where it's just kind of a zero entry into it. It's, it's, it's severe, but you're, you're hoping that the overall, um, amount of water in it always stays pretty full. Yeah, exactly. They get to it and they, they, they drink in it. I mean, there's still some slope to it. I mean, yeah. they don't have to go very far and they're able to drink. We just try to keep it, you know, to the point that it's not that long gradual where a bunch of mud gets, you know, if the, if the pond drops three inches, you don't want two foot of mud mm-hmm. exposed. On the, uh, on the counties and farms where you can supplement feed or mineral feed, have you guys tried any of that analogics Oasis yet? I, I have not, not, not as of yet. No. It's pretty interesting. I, I put some in, um, I need to replenish them actually, but I have a couple water holes on, uh, the, the new property and we set cameras up and they hammered it. <laughs> I mean, they really did like it. And what size, uh, water container was it? They, so it's that I didn't do, you know, that in a perfect world, it would have been containers, you know, and our, you know, little pools or whatever. Um, and I know there's some manufacturers out there that make those. I had existing little water holes that would probably be like the size of one was probably like the size of a Volkswagen, 
you know? And so I took, cause they they have equations as to how much you use, you know, for an area. And I actually put that, I felt like that one was pretty big and fairly deep. So I put four bottles in that one, four different bottles in that one. And I spread it out, you know, as I kind of poured it around it and they, they really did hammer it. I mean, we've had a camera on it and they, when it was, especially when it was fresh, because like any mineral site, it will hold it through time, but not quite like the first 30, 45 days. And that first, that first month, like they really hit it hard. So it was interesting to see it, honestly. That's awesome. Yeah. Free idea for analogics. I bet they would really tear up a water hole if they flavored one of them, Sharkleberry Finn. Mm. They have, I mean, they do have uh, three different flavors. One was the regular like supplement gold flavor, I believe. I think one might have been apple. I forget what the other one was. Maybe a berry or something. Yep. Scott's shaking his head. But it was, I mean, you know, I don't know how much good it does or, you know, the equation of how much you need for an area. But they Mm -hmm. said like you'd have to put a a lot in there to harm the deer as far as minerals go. So I don't think I overdid it necessarily. Uh, but it is probably time to replenish them. But it, it was interesting to see it. Hmm. Awesome, cool. That's, that's that's exciting. And it, and minerals are legal in that county. Mm-hmm. You're saying, yeah. yes, sir. Yep. yep. So it's the it's it's also the we have a bunch of analogics out and we have some mineral sites out and I mean the deer the amount of daylight activity and it's interesting because it's a small piece but they're living right where we have our sure. sites and it's it's pretty interesting to see conversely uh, you know our other farm where we can't do any of that and where we have mostly a nocturnal deer herd <sighs> all of our pictures are at night and it's just like I you know I'm I kind of curb my excitement because it's like hey the, the best deer are on the farm where we can't supplemental feed <laughs> of course. put minerals out yep. and you know it's the deer are all nocturnal and so i'm trying to curb all the excitement knowing that how tough it was out there last year mm-hmm. yeah. but we're, we're trying to adjust and and plant more food hopefully we get lucky with some rain totals because we didn't get any rain after we planted three times last year on that farm so it really makes or breaks it you know, and you guys have been saying that for years, but I think we're going to have a much different year if we can get lucky with the rainfall once we plant our food plots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly. Well, hopefully this period we're in right now will hot and dry break soon because it's uh, forecast isn't is not favorable up here. I don't know how it is down there. No, yeah. For triple digits pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. Not so. good. Um, before we jump into the real wild <clears throat> clip of the week, I'm curious, Mark, a lot of our Deer cat, a lot of our podcast listeners are super DeerCast users, and I'm curious what you think might be one of the most underutilized of the new DeerCast features this fall. Like our, our, I think our podcasters want to be like as savvy with DeerCast as possible. So what should they be on the lookout for that may be overlooked by other people? You know, um, Boy, there's so much to un- unwrap there, Tim. I mean, there's a lot of cool features. I-, I suspect, my suspicion is the ones that are going to get used the most would be the wind direction mm-hmm. through five days. I think that's going to be checked quite often. I think people using the tracking um, feature will be one that's going to be very, very advantageous. Just getting to a stand, sharing that with your buddy. Here's how you get in. Here's how you get out. Following on a blood trail, using it to, you know, redneck GPS, uh, <laughs> spraying of a, of a food plot or the planting of a food plot. I think tracking is one. 
the overall plot and area is one that I would recommend using right now if you're a food plotter, just to make sure you're not wasting any money on fertilizer or on, on seed or yeah, chemical. Sure. Make sure you know exactly how big that food plot is. And to me, our, our tool there that allows you to do that, I walk the edge of the plot and then I get the exact area within that plot. To me, it is spot on, man. It's, it's really an impressive tool. So those, those are three that I, I like quite a bit. And of course, I love Rain Station. Um, so, and then, and then play with Rain Station through time, go backwards and look at history and then go forwards, look at forecast. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. There's, there's a lot to unravel and, and I'm very, very proud of, of what that offering is. And finally, our offline maps are just second to none. If you're in an area, you know, uh, that's really good deer hunting without service, just make sure you go to offline maps before you get out of you know, good service and then work on those all day. They work quite well. You're not going to have wind direction, but just about everything else will, will be there. So our offline maps are second to none. I really love that feature, but you got to download them before you ever go hunting where you have good service, do that at home, get all your sites, you know, set up in there, all the waypoints and everything else transfer over into offline maps. But uh, they're, they're a special, special tool. I know my son-in-law, it's been a game changer for him up there at the ranch because he has no service up there. I mean, zero and uh, he's on offline maps all day, every day, scouting out bucks and dropping waypoints. And he loves that feature. One of the kind of a hack or tip, you know, especially here in the short term is if you feel like you're, you know, when you're at your property, if you might go like down in some bottoms and back up and come in and out of service, you want to just go ahead and put your phone in airplane mode. If you are using like the path track feature in offline mode, because it will do some funky stuff here going in and out of connectivity. So that's one thing that we've learned a little bit and we're working on continuing to improve and, and, and make it a super, you know, super performing uh, version. But in the meantime, kind of a quick hack would be to put it, your phone in airplane mode. Yeah. If you think you're going to be jumping, and kind of in and out of low-level service, edge of service, we call it. One of the fun things for us, kind of behind the scenes with DeerCast, is that it's never done. Like we're we continue to to iterate. There's a lot of job security here. <laughs> you say fun, <laughs> but Mark mentioned that you can share your GPS tracks with other people, and currently you can't do that in but, DeerCast. But it's coming. But we're working on it right now. But it's coming. Mm -hmm. By the time the season hits and um, it, it should be in there and working flawlessly. So we're excited for that. Yep. It's coming. And, and I, I should have prefaced that comment, but that shows you my confidence. I'm fairly certain it's going to be there. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like we're constantly Mark and, and Terry and their, their crews and our crew here, we're constantly beta testing features mm -hmm. in the background. So beta testing basically means we have a version of it before it ever comes out, you know, in, in the app store for everyone else. So those are the things that we're constantly beta testing and, and improving and working on and tweaking. And there's a lot coming down the pipeline. Yeah. And that's for me, that's the fun part is because like you get deer cast now, but then we're also delivering more goodies as the season goes on, as we create these features. I had a, a gentleman that uh, reached out on Instagram and was, was uh, messaging me about the features and asking some questions and I was answering his questions and uh, he had, he had a couple suggestions and, and he goes, although I'm sure you guys are working on that already. It was a few things that we're working mm -hmm. on. I'm like, yep, you know, great intuition there and we're constantly evolving and improving, but we love hearing the feedback and, and obviously it's, 
you know, Mark and Terry from day one always said the videos and everything we do, it's created for you. Well, the app is like a super version of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely created for the user at home. And if you think of what the app does from predictability to the media player to the newsfeed, I mean, it's a lot of different things, you know. Uh, now we add Maps plus all the tools within Maps. It is, a, it is one hell of an offering in terms of what it can provide you in terms of entertainment, information, you know, your ability to, to plan out strategies and go in and hunt a deer. Like, I'm, I'm very proud of what it, what it ended up looking like. It took us longer to get it there, mm -hmm. but the one thing that we were all hell-bent on was to make sure that it worked quite well. And that's, that's where we're at right now. So I'm, uh, I'm excited. I, I did a podcast yesterday with the working class guys, and I was able to take them through off air i was able to take them through the app and show them every little feature within and i mean they were just so excited about it they were really pumped up so uh that's that's exciting for us to see as developers and and the people the people that produce the app to see other people's reaction to the offering once they get in there it's it's pretty cool yeah because i think we've we've been uh hit over the head with it so much. We've been in it for a couple of years now, you know, before the rest of the world could see it. It's like old news almost to, yeah. to the internal you forget group, it's, right? You it's for brand new. That's right. So it, it is nice to see. And the comments have been very positive so far and, and uh, look forward to seeing how people use it once they get into the actual mm -hmm. season. I can't wait to hear all the success stories. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. So last week on the real wild clip, we had a coyote sent in from Tristan, one of our, uh, one of our podcast listeners, he's a Rack Pack member. He sent in the video of the, the fawn that had been eaten by, or that was being carried off by a coyote. This week, we're continuing the theme with more aggressive coyotes. Let's roll the footage. Roll that beautiful bean footage. <laughs> that's a coyote that's barking at maybe 15 yards. This was sent to me by our good buddy, Mike Inglemeyer, Ingy. Who, oh, nice. for some reason, gets the most craziest clips. What's he doing? <laughs> I don't know what this guy's doing. Hey. If you knew him, you'd know. This coyote is hey. just standing there, barking aggressively at Ingi. Hey. Yeah, so the footage gets a little shaky there as he's yelling at it, but basically hey. he's like, hey, get the heck out of here. Hey. And he didn't have a sidearm or anything, I don't believe, on him at that time. Hey. But I think he would have probably dispatched the coyote. Would be in my guess if he could have. Was that last fall? Yeah, I think I think so. You know, you, you hear that sound often. You seldom get to see them make that sound. Oh yeah. no. I, I've never seen that that especially that close up. And that's the beauty of everybody having a phone in their pocket. You would have somebody would have never I've said this on the real wild clip a lot, but you would never believe a guy that's a man, right. I had a coyote hey. literally Barking at 15 yards. Yeah. I'm sure you did. Or you should see hey. this picture of a tick that I found. Hey. <laughs> the the real <laughs> the real hey. issue here is just how blasé this raisin. Yeah, this coyote is about a human's presence, and 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 I, and I don't know coyote vocalizations enough, but like when I see that, I think. He's calling, his, calling his buddies. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna gang up on me. Hey guys, I have a snack over here. Right. There's this real tall, linky. He's got a lot of meat. He's on gonna these be bones. stringy, but hey, we'll make, make good work. The out best of part is you hear Ingi and Mark's known hey. him forever. Like him saying, "Hey, hey!" I could just picture hey. him out there in the woods yelling at this hey, thing. Right. Well, the last thing you want to do is turn and run. Oh yeah, right. yeah. But you know, I. 
I think in the last clip where we showed a coyote like that, we were, you were talking about it. And I, I mentioned like in s- suburbia, they are brazen like that because they see humans all the time. But usually in rural areas, in the woods, like as soon as you see them, they take off. Like if they sense a human, they take off. So that's the scary part about this clip. Yeah, that's that's a rare piece of footage right there. Thanks to Mike for letting us uh, put that on the podcast. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. So this morning – I got a picture on my Reconic cell camera of a coyote running through with something that's in its mouth. Mm. I, I don't know. I, my assumption was it was a small game, but cause it was, it was not large enough unless it was a limb or something. It was yeah. running kind of away. So I couldn't tell. It just could tell something was Maybe in its vape. mouth. <laughs> Maybe, but my guess is it was a small rabbit or something like that. But mm. in general, it's just like, man, like these things are ruthless. Yeah, well, you think it's not a small animal, and it's got to eat multiple times a day. And I know they eat a lot of rodents and everything, but I'm sure they eat a fair amount of deer. Well, like Tristan's clip, it was a fawn, <laughs> a fawn in its mouth. Yeah, well, which is the type of deer. They're terrible on farm fawn mortality. I mean, they, that time of the year, they're scooping them up as fast as they can. If they find one, they're going to eat it. You know, same with our baby turkeys and all all the little little babies. They're the most vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, mm. so that's a cool clip. Appreciate him sending it in. Another, we've had some really awesome real wild clips of the week so far. Yeah, yeah, big time. All right, all right. So we got we got a question of the day this week. We do not have a wildlife word oh, because damn. the question of the day is so good. Oh, okay. It's one of, from one of our buddies. I can't wait. So <laughs> the question of the day is probably brought to you by Leopold Optics. Be relentless. Hey guys, Darren Rob here. Um, my question is about deer cast. So one thing I've wondered about quite a bit is how big of a difference is it between like a great and a good or an okay? Um, you see great and you get excited um, and you see an okay and it's kind of less exciting, but realistically, how big of a difference is there between the two? Um, obviously, I know there's there's 13 different variables, and um, I'm just curious, like, how many of those have to not line up to make it go from a great to a good or an okay? Um, I guess if you could explain that a little bit, uh, it would help me out a lot. So thanks, guys. Keep up the good work, and I love the podcast. I think it helped me too. <laughs> Maybe Darren's trying to develop his own version of deer cast. <laughs> Careful, Mark. <laughs> it's a trap. You know, I suspect the question he just asked probably goes through a lot of users' minds. Yeah. You know, I think it's a very good question, and he framed it quite well also. Um, he's right. There is 13 different variables, and you can't forget those are those have differing amounts of influence through the 13 different phases. So something that has a lot of influence early may not have as much influence late. So that question is, is a fairly complex answer. The mm-hmm. answer is complex to that question because it is an algorithm and it's looking at a lot every second of the day in your neck of the woods and it's changing through time. So uh, a great right now may have taken fewer influencers of the 13 than it would at a different phase or vice versa. So I always look at okay, great, and good as much as in a sense of time of the day or how much time they will spend during daylight walking around as I do 
in how many deer I'm going to see. Mm -hmm. So I always think like a great is optimum. There's a lot of different influencers that are in, in favor and the deer are generally probably going to move a little bit earlier in the afternoon, or they may move a little bit later in the morning. So daylight activity is enhanced by, with more deer, you drop down to a good or an okay, that is going to be crunched just a little bit. And if you go all the way down to a bad, it may be quite late when they walk out of an afternoon or they may only walk the first 30 minutes of the day. So there is a difference between all the different uh, predictions. And oftentimes it has to do with how much daylight activity they're going to give you. And I know that's not a, a very uh, succinct answer, but it's the best answer I can give you because there, there is no clear answer because the algorithm is constantly working, constantly, constantly looking at those different variables across 13 different phases. Um, and uh, hopefully you see, though, through time, it is quite accurate. There's a big difference between a great and a bad, and then it is subtle in between. Sure. And uh, like most things that are real, it's it's complex. Yeah. You know, what I find interesting in the summertime, and it's it's this way since we've launched it, you get a, a fair amount of greats and goods for as hot as it is. And I think to myself, there's no way deer are moving. And then I go out and I see deer moving. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, you know what? <laughs> this thing, it's ridiculous yeah, because it's, it's different. They have their summer coats. They have their summer patterns. And it's just a much different animal than it is, you know, once you get into those fall weather conditions and, and the temperatures, you know, that's part of the algorithm that, you know, that's all factored into it. And so it is always interesting to me, especially you roll into like, we just had that buck moon uh, super moon, you know, the last, I guess, few days ago and the days leading into that, the deer were moving like crazy yeah. and, uh, even, even up quite a bit later in the mornings too. So it's been, it's been fun to watch it and see, you know, in 90, hundred degree temperatures, how well they're still moving. Yep. Well, and one of the things I'm really proud of is just how much we obsess over the details in deer cast because we had a whole conversation i think last fall about the color shading of okay because i think it was like a yellowish orangish and it was it, it was giving people the idea like eh, maybe you shouldn't maybe you shouldn't like you should really temper your expectations and we went with more of a greenish color because we, it, it's okay like it's still okay to hunt and like there was a lot of thought that went into that so surprisingly yes <laughs> previously it was closer in, in you know color to the more pessimistic predictions as it was as compared to the optimistic predictions so that's why we were like you know that was probably a misstep of ours early on and that's why we changed the color of okay because in reality okay good and great they move pretty good on all three of those. It may be a little bit later in the afternoon or a little bit earlier in the morning, but uh, it's still, a, you know, it's still a positive influencer. You got to say it like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they moved okay. You know, that's why we, we, when we first came up with our terminology, we're like, well, what if it's a, a day where they didn't move well? We're like, well, it was, it was a bad, bad day. They didn't move, you know, or yeah. they moved okay. Or man, they moved great. So yeah. we kind of use the terminology that we, hunters used anyway when we came up with all the five different predictions yeah it's not like we could say like you're gonna see 10 deer like it'd yeah. be dumb of us to say that <laughs> yeah. maybe we change bad to meh meh <laughs> uh you know as you look as you look at it 
the other part about it, you mentioned, you know, just general warming and, and, and our climate is, has been getting warmer the last few years and we're not getting as much rain. I feel like, you know, last year you and Terry, the three of us are in a text chain a, a lot about the predictive model and, and the algorithm and, and making tweaks. And, you know, we kind of talked about that and you got, you specifically were saying, you know, really, I feel like the movement on good and it's almost become the new great sometimes because the it's so warm all the time. It was so warm all the way through the fall and we're just not getting those cold, cold temperatures until really late that we used to start getting in November sometimes. Well, they acclimated to it, you know, yeah. so like the prediction, if you would have taken any three or four warm day, three or four day period that was warm and placed it in a normal fall, it would have been very pessimistic for movement. However, they kind of acclimated through it to the whole fall. So it became the new norm. Mm. You know, the, the species still has to, you know, move on. They're still going to rut and, and everything. So uh, it was interesting to watch last year being so very, very warm, you know, and I, I thought the algorithm did a pretty good job with predicting their movement on a, on a tricky fall because we were above average for most of the year. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I, uh, I, I don't want people to feel like our shows are a, commercial for DeerCast. Good luck. We, we, <laughs> we really do. Like we use DeerCast. We're proud of DeerCast. And, and that's why we talk about it so much. Well, it's, it's become, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, Mark and Terry used to check, you know, Wonderground, Weather Channel, watch the Weather Channel on, you know, cable and like all these things every day. Well, now this is where we're spending uh, and it's a lot less time. You could see it a lot quicker. You could yeah. get the daily real quick, the snapshot, or you could dive into the hourly. So it's not that we're spending, I, I don't know how to say it exactly, but we're spending the same, you know, we're putting the same amount of focus on this topic, but now it's all in the one area for us. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the app design was out of just pure necessity for, necessity for us to be able to get everything in one spot. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't you say, Mark? Yeah, I got tired of people texting me going, hey, are the deer going to move this week? Yeah. <laughs> or I got tired of people going, hey, I need help tracking this deer. So, you know, when you can solve problems for people, it turns into be something that's more of a utility where they need it quite often. Yeah. And it, uh, it's been well received, to say the least. Yep. So, yep. yeah, we apologize to, to the listeners or viewers if they feel like it's an ad, but we, we eat, sleep and breathe it and we believe in it. Well, I think what it does do for those that are that do care or, or want to learn more, it gives you a 300 level course on Ooh. how we're util utilizing it. Right? It's college term. So that's that's right. Because so, and I made this point yesterday, and I think it's worth making again. Like you, if you download the app and you dive into those tools within Maps, you will quickly recognize that it was designed by a bunch of hunters. Like that is what we focused on. Like we, we talk about it in, in much of the, the material where we're promoting the app is we are focused on the white-tailed deer hunter specifically. And if you play with those tools, you understand what I'm talking about. They're built for you. They, we speak to you like a deer hunter would speak to you and you'll interpret information that's going to help you make great decisions daily. Not to say the other apps out, out there aren't a great offering because many of them are. I just do think our tools are much more, much more um, focused on the white-tailed deer hunter and, and helping you have a better experience out and there. And we'll keep improving them. We're going to keep improving them, and, and we're deer hunters just like you, and we love the resource. We love being able to, to make decisions uh, that help us kill a big deer, and uh, 
we're the ones that put all these features in there. I, I want to stress that, you know, it, and I think there's a difference. It, it's been a, an interesting learning curve working with our developers for them to understand what we're talking about, but we keep pounding it until they finally get it. And uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the case with some of the other apps out there. And that's not to speak poorly of them because there's many things I see them do that they probably do better than our app. Mm -hmm. However, when you get down to the tools you need to deer hunt, I'd put up ours up against any offering out there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, how about some shout outs? Let's hear it, Timmy. So uh, uh, we got a five-star rating from Rhino Hog over on Apple Podcasts. He says, love the show, hunting info, and a lot of fun. Keep up the good work, and please get Mark on. He didn't say, he didn't mention a last name. (laughs) Maybe we should assume Mark Drury. (laughs) I would assume Mark Drury. (laughs) So Rhino Hog, you're welcome. We got Mark on. See, listeners, you make the request, we come through. Look at us. How you doing, Rhino? Good. Thank you for the for the kind words. All right. Heck yeah. So we're down to the last segment of the show where I read off the newest Rack Pack members' names. Tim makes fun of me. I butcher somebody's name. Make Tim throws a you. fake name in there. Last week was a killer. What was the name again? Zebco. That one was when I was gone because oh, Coondog was that's here. That's right. Yeah, Zebco right. real. Yeah. Zebco. Zeb Coreal. <laughs> you know what's fragile. Okay, so last night I get home late. I came home from the farm, and the kids and Miranda, they're sitting at, they just finished dinner. They're sitting at the table, and she's got her, she's got her laptop up, and she's showing them clips of Bart Simpson calling Moe's Bar. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fake that's names. Great. I didn't explain what, <laughs> basically, you're doing that to me. Yep. I'm Moe in this scenario. Amanda, hug and kiss. I need Amanda, hug and kiss. That was one of them. That was one of the that's ones. That's classic. Yeah. So, anyways. All right. So, we have Seth Forster, Jose Fragoso, Ooh. Ricky Benefield, Aaron Thus, Atakashwan, Tim, Aaron Thus, Atakashwan. Okay, what is it? You might be having a stroke right now. What, what's the? What is it? Aaron the side of caution. Uh, Aaron the side of caution. Hold it. That hold one. it. Hold it. I got this. It's, I'll have to look for it I later. Got diarrhea. <laughs> We have that song by it. It's Terry saying it. Air on the side of caution. All right. I think I'm going to throw up. That's Aunt Barb. So, so we got Stephen Nickham, Kobe Bone, Dustin Potter. Oh, and Tim Sylvia. Oh. The maniac. Five-time former UFC heavyweight champion of the world. Don't make him mad. You won't like him when You know what? Mad. We've seen people come up to him at trade shows and say, hey, you know, choke me out. I want to see it. And it always amazes me when people do this to him. And he, so Tim's a nice, he's like a big teddy bear. He's the nicest guy in the world. But he only takes it for so long as somebody like pestering him before he's like, okay, you sure? And he's, you know, yeah, I'm sure. It takes seconds. He'll put him in the chokehold and it takes seconds and it'll gently kind of set him on the ground. <laughs> it's, isn't it the craziest thing you've ever seen? Yeah, no liability involved whatsoever. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I need to get Tim on. Tim would be a good one to have on the podcast. Maybe Absolutely he can choke would. one of us out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Tim would be an awesome guest. Yeah. Because he's so passionate about the outdoors and his farm and big deer. And he's a, he's a damn good deer deer killer, man. Yeah. He'd be a great guest for you. 
Yeah. So mm. he's he's a good fun guy. But anyway, so that's it. That's it for the week, Timmy. Yeah. Yeah. We should say I think we're gonna we're gonna cut the Apple video feed of the show. It's it's caused way more trouble than it's worth for folks listening wise, buffering wise. We took a poll on the on the rack pack, rack pack. and uh, most people said it'd be fine to cut it. So we're going to cut that. And that way it makes the actual file size a lot smaller for the podcast. Yeah, as well. like a factor of 10. So again, always working for the viewer. That's why we exist for you. And you can still get it in DeerCast over on YouTube, the mm-hmm. video version. So if yeah. we're like these real wild clips, if you really want to see them, you can pop in and check them out over in uh, DeerCast or over. Listen and watch the show. That's right. It's like two shows. Mark, any parting shots for us? No, just appreciate everybody that's already downloaded DeerCast, and we look forward to continuing bringing you the best tools out there, and we want to say thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked about this last week with Terry, but get it before deer season. That way you're not trying to figure maps out and if fart around with it, but when you really need it, get it now so you're comfortable and confident with it. That's my parting shot. All right. Man, I'm looking all around for air on the side of the caution, and I think we got rid of it on the soundboard. I can't find it. That's a misstep on our part. Air on the side of caution. <laughs> I think it's on the other page. I'm looking at Ali. He's got his hands in the air. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what it was? I got too comfortable and I started to get fancy. It'll happen. Mark, thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> thanks. All right. Until next time, we appreciate everybody. Be safe. Peace out. See ya. DeerCast is now supercharged with maps. Get ahead of your game with killer new features like live Doppler radar, wind checkout to five days, virtual rain gauges, GPS path tracking, and more. Plus, get our 14-day revolutionary DeerCast prediction and access to DeerCast track. Prep, predict, and pursue with DeerCast. DeerCast.